CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400, 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises. Um, he has rebranded his company. Uh, he's going with the throwback. Um, We've rebranded again, actually. What is it now? We're now Bronstein Sports Plus. Oh, okay. Bronstein Sports Plus. Have, have you uh, had the graphic designer put together the logo or... Do you have the T-shirts made up? I mean, it's just going to be Bronstein Sports and a plus sign. I see. So but you're, but you'll when that. you say it, when you articulate it, it will actually be Bronstein Sports Plus. Yes. Got it. Okay. Duly noted. BS Plus. <laughs> Everything's plus these days. Um, better than minus. Better than minus. <laughs> Did you give any consideration to Bronstein Prime or maybe even playing off of the uh, the heat that uh, Deion Sanders is generating uh, and Amazon Prime and all these other companies that have a prime? You could maybe latch on to that movement. I think that's a saturated market, really. You know, there's Deion Sanders, as you mentioned, Amazon Prime. There's also a prime energy jink Logan Paul is involved with that's been in the news a lot. So I, I don't really want to get in on the prime market share, whereas I think plus, I think I'm ahead of the curve. I have not seen too many media properties use that before. What are your thoughts on Deion Sanders uh, through these first couple of games, dealing with all that bull junk that he deals with? I mean, I find Deion Sanders tremendously entertaining as a player, as a TV analyst, and now as a coach. And like many people, I'm very interested in, borderline riveted by what he's doing in Colorado and the quick turnaround and uh, his son being such a electrifying player and the personalities. I would not like to cover the team and deal with some of the bull junk that comes along with this and then <laughs> the silly controversies about sunglasses and hats and, you know, different kind of things, but just being a college. For those who don't know, Colorado state's coach made it a point to uh, poke the bear uh, talking about how Deion Sanders wears sunglasses and hats at his post-game news conferences. And uh, I'm neglecting the the Colorado State's coach's name, which I guess is part of the point, uh, <laughs> that uh, he said that his mother taught him taught him better than that. So pretty much just, you know, throwing some, some shade at Deion Sanders, I guess pun intended, um, before Jay the Norvell. game, making it personal. Um, what's his name? Jay Norvell. But you know what? I like that. And I'm not sure what side I fall on that, but I actually do like coaches bickering back and forth a little bit and having a uh, 
you know, just different characters of these two different teams, whether you are for or against the coach prime way, uh, you now have a distinct rooting interest in, in watching this game and either wearing your hat or not wearing your hat or wearing your glasses or not wearing your glasses. And that's, that's now part of the fan experience. Yeah. I really don't care one way or the other. I, 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 my entertainment is watching people get worked up about it. I don't have an opinion strong regarding Deion Sanders. Um, I mean, part of me, I do begrudge his immediate success because of how he used the transfer portal. And I'm not against the transfer portal. I like the free agency aspect of things. I think that student athletes should be allowed to move around. I do feel badly for the players who went to go play football at the university of Colorado a couple of years ago, and were just kind of shoved out the door. Uh, but to do this wholesale change to your roster, it's worked. Um, Two and zero, two big victories, uh, an upset in in week one, and then crushing uh, Nebraska last week. Uh, saying what he says, and I just find the whole scene uh, to be pretty entertaining. Um, win or lose, I think part of me, you know, I, I'd like to see what happens with a couple of if he hits some turbulence. I'd like to see what 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 happens, how he how he. Uh, uh, navigates that and probably not much different than how he's navigating the victories, but yeah, it's great television. I find it interesting too. And in that I don't know if there's been many examples of this in football, but there've been more in college basketball of late of, you know, celebrity coaches, big name players from either the NFL or the NBA that rely maybe more so on personality than traditional coaching backgrounds to run their programs and it's working very well here at Colorado with Deion Sanders and it worked well at Jackson State with Deion Sanders it's been hit and miss in the examples we've seen in college basketball and I think maybe for the ultimate level maybe more misses than hits so it's kind of interesting to see it work when I haven't always seen it work on the basketball level yeah, you know, you could think of examples of players who got a job, or I'm saying I should say coaches who got the job without much experience, um, but they weren't big celebrities. They weren't. It wasn't the personality like Jeff Saturday. Uh, granted, he was on ESPN as an analyst, but to go with the Hall of Fame mentality, you don't just see Peyton Manning stop playing quarterback and then become a head coach. I mean, it's tough to do in the, in uh, the national football league, <clears throat> which is why so much is made of John Harbaugh and the road that he took from being a starting quarterback for a long time in the NFL, and then going to the lower levels of the profession and, and cutting up tape, like he was, uh, you know, an intern almost uh, and going through it that way. A lot of, a lot of players don't have the appetite for that. They they are used to being, and they got paid a lot of money. And so the reward to coaching just isn't there for a lot of players, which is why the big superstars go right into broadcasting. The money is good. The hours are a lot better. Uh, but you're right. You do see it in basketball a lot more. Why do you think that does work? Is it is basketball just easier to coach or does it translate more? I, I I don't know if it's easier to coach, but I think that. Or the power of recruiting, well, the charisma I, to recruit type. Well, thing. that's why it should work is that the name and the personality and the connections and especially with a star player, maybe somebody like Penny Hardaway, the way his 
name and image and likeness, uh, you know, to borrow a, uh, a phrase, worked well for him as a player. That should translate into coaching and recruiting and connecting with players and, and transfers and things like that. And I also think you mentioned, is it easier to coach? I don't know if it's easier to coach, but I do think there's an element of basketball where you play both sides of the floor and all over the court where a player who was like a coach on the floor can translate into being a coach maybe easier than in football where you only play one side of the ball in one position and yeah. coach the whole game. Players And you're 111th as opposed to 1-5th. Yeah, where it might take more seasoning and coaching different positions and different styles and different jobs before you're ready to be an NFL head coach right after retiring as a player. You know, we talk a lot about the show uh, that sports uh, has been for the last few decades, uh, more of a reality television show uh, than it is the game in many ways. Uh, Sunday sometimes feels anticlimactic when it comes to covering the NFL. You, you put so much time and energy into covering it all week, and it seems like the game should last eight hours instead of just three. It's over with at a blink, and it always just seems to not be commensurate with the amount of work put into it, you know? Um, now, granted, it's a big show, and you got the tailgating, and it's not just the three hours of the game. It's the entire day and, you know, uh, getting the food ready, and and you're having your buddies over at the house, and it's a big thing. It's more than just the three hours. But, you know, the reality show that is uh, sports, as I was mentioning, we talk about it all the time. Um, and so I want to touch on the reality show that has been uh, at One Bill's Drive this week. Uh, so much to talk about on Monday night. Concerns, things you were perhaps excited about if you're a Bills fan, seeing Sean McDermott uh, get through the game uh, pretty well as the play caller. No glaring errors or mistakes arose, and it took four takeaways and the only the third overtime punt return for a touchdown in NFL history uh, for the Bills to lose that game. So there are a lot of things to be uh, actually encouraged about uh, with the Bills. Um, but the stuff off the off the field this week, and most notably, I know people are going to be tuning in because I've been pretty vocal about it on Twitter and, and people who follow me on Twitter, I think, tend to probably listen to the podcast or vice versa. Um the situation with Maddie Glab, I just want to touch on it because I've been vocal on it. I don't know how long we want to talk about it. Um, again, I just want to clarify. A lot of people have are, are saying that I'm blaming Stefan Diggs for tweeting last night. I'm not. That's all part of the show. Uh, it's part of this reality t television show that we cover uh, as sports reporters. Um, I just think that it all could have been handled differently. I think it's a fascinating discussion, which I've been having. And I think it starts with the whole hot mic aspect of this. Um, Channel two had its uh, cameras running, which is standard operating procedure. I don't think that channel two is necessarily at fault here. And then was live streaming uh, an empty chair while we were waiting for, I think it was Micah Hyde is, is who we were waiting for. I'm not exactly sure when, uh, what it was, but it was in between players talking at the, at the table there out in the, in the field house and the cameras were going and the hot mic was, uh, was on and um, Maddie Glab was caught joking with a couple other reporters regarding Stefan Diggs. Somebody says, Hey, why don't you go in there and get Steph and tell him to come on out here? You know, cause they're waiting people, are, the, the bullshit, the bullshitting that goes on while you're waiting for the next thing to happen in this job. 
And Matty Glab said something to the effect of uh, he would just look me in the eye, say, F you. That's the way he treats everybody. Um, and that was, I mean, as somebody who's been around her and in those situations, I, what she was saying was, I have no pull just because I'm a Bill's employee. He's going to tell me this. So it became a whole thing. Now everybody is is worried about uh, Stefan Diggs's wounded brand, uh, that he's somebody who's been trying to overcome this image. And now here's a team employee saying that he uh, that he uh, that he's defiant, uh, that he doesn't go along with things. And then Maddie Glab apologized. And in my mind, I think and plus you could see it a lot of her, a lot of the comments coming back to her, a majority of them were you shouldn't even have to apologize for this. It's so silly. And I was just kind of monitoring. I was looking on Twitter. People were encouraging her and supporting her. And then Stefan Diggs sends out the tweets and boy, did it flip. Now that everybody sees Stefan Diggs tweeting out his, his feelings were hurt. Uh, he, he's con confused. And again, I'm paraphrasing. He can't understand why somebody would say this of him. He always treats the media with respect. I would agree with that. He does from my standpoint, he's always been gracious with me. He doesn't always do the interview, but he's he's not a dick about it, or at least he hasn't been uh, to me. But but anyway, so once Stefan Diggs now tweets, then it becomes even escalated. Now, does he have a right to tweet and, and defend himself? Absolutely. But my observation on this is that something so silly has become a major national story. I have people reaching out to me all day today wanting to come on their radio or television show to talk about this, not to talk about how Josh Allen and the Bills bounce back against the Raiders on Sunday. They want to ask me about the Bills and their reporter. Um, I agreed to do one of them, um, but. Uh, and it's because it's going to be after the podcast and I will have talked, but I, I'm going to, my point on this, on this interview will be, I think it's ridiculous. And people are saying, well, you can't say that Stefan Diggs's feelings are ridiculous. I'm not. I think that this whole thing is with a hot mic and the idea that reporters are supposed to know that there's a hot mic. Jonah, you've been in these situations hundreds of times. I can't remember anybody from the television side of things warning us hey guys hot mic hot mic i mean we're around this this is something i've i'm 52 years old i've been doing this for 30 years and this is something i just learned last night from thad brown um uh, in rochester we were having a conversation over text and he was saying this is how it's done it's always done this way well i'm like well, i never knew that so i mean how many times have i been caught on a hot mic you know you how many you know what's uh, i don't know so it's anyways it's a i think it's a fascinating look at just mass media how it's done how the sausage is made what becomes a story how the national media decides what to put on the ticker because this thing was on espn's ticker last night tmz covered it i mean what again the athletic hasn't covered it i mean it, to me it doesn't rise to the level of a story but i, I think it's a fascinating look at our media world more so than anything more so than what Maddie Glab said, Stefan Diggs's feelings on this. I think it's all pretty, this has all been sensationalized for, for the sake of content to give us something to leer at uh, and to now watch uh, Maddie Glab either lose her job or come back. Now, now that's a part of the, the reality TV show that is the national football league. Well, I mean, 
It's certainly a story because I think you just did about a 1500 word monologue on it beginning, middle and <laughs> right. end with a lot of. But again, it's uh, to me, it's not a story about Diggs and Maddie Glad. To me, it's a what are we doing here story? What 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 is it that capture what what are we as a as a sports journalist when I show up on uh, on a certain day? Am I what am I? Should I be talking? I talked to Ed Oliver yesterday. You know, should I be not be talking to Ed Oliver? Should I be interviewing other members of the media? For the for the what's going on in in their world, I think people might want to read what would come of that type of reporting, uh, and might be more. I don't want to say more interesting, but uh, more different and unique than some of the football X's and O's between the lines type coverage. Because let me go through a few of the things that you mentioned, and I think my general premise is to disagree that it's not. A story. I think um, I think it's a very unique situation. There are 16 NFL football games this week and 32 NFL cities or 30 or whatever. But th this isn't going on in all 30 cities. It isn't a storyline going into all 16 games. So it's definitely a unique situation, especially with, um, you know, it being a team employee and not a independent media member. But to clarify a couple of things, because I was out there Wednesday when this happened. Um, I wasn't at the podium when there was that speaking. I was in the locker room doing something else. But I did understand, as many media people understood, that we were thought to be waiting for Stefan Diggs. There was a belief that he was the next player that was going to come up and speak after. Yeah, there was, some, there was some discussion as to whether yeah. we were going to get Stefan Diggs on Wednesday versus, and he eventually spoke on Thursday. Yeah. But yeah, and so that was part of the... And there was a long idle period that's not normal because I would presume there was efforting to find or bring Stefan Diggs out. I think maybe he was not available or findable in that moment. Micah Hyde ends up coming out in a bit of a rush, only had five minutes after that long delay. And it and should be noted, and again, nobody feels sorry for the media, but just to give people an idea as to how it's set up, the, the, the field house is a massive complex. You know, there's a football field in there. Uh, and where the Bills do the news conferences is on the sideline against the wall opposite the locker room. And these news conferences take place at the same time that the locker room is open for reporters to go in. So you have to choose many cases because it's too long of a walk. You can't just rush or pop in and pop out back and forth. You have to choose whether to set up at the news conference area or go into the locker room. Um, and so if you are waiting for somebody to show up, you do get impatient as a reporter because you're potentially just wasting time. There's stuff happening in the locker room, players that you could be interviewing. Meanwhile, you're sitting there and you don't know if who's coming out next, if anybody's coming out next. So it is a bit of a, a stressor for the media because you only get whatever it is, 45 minutes or an hour to have all to get your work done. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to make that point. So, yeah, that's kind of where it starts as everybody pondering and shooting the shit and trying to kill time, wondering who's coming out. And then after all this happened yesterday on Thursday, Stefan Diggs does end up doing that sit down press conference, seemed to be in a, a quite a good mood. And yeah. this and I talked to him at his locker stall prior to that. He was great. Was not um, brought up. But going back to Wednesday, I, one thing I want to also not dispute, but from my experiences, I have heard cameramen uh, alerting the room that their mic was hot or that there's a live stream going on. Maybe not so much in that setting, but within the Bills media room, within the interview room inside the stadium, a lot of times when it's post game or Sean McDermott's scheduled to speak and he's 
a few minutes late. Uh, I have heard photographers tell us that their camera was rolling and we're live. I've been aware of times either people have told me or because in my digital role in my job, sometimes I'm back at the office watching some of these screens. I, I do hear and see times when the chatter in the media room is live streamed on different platforms. So I'm kind of aware that that goes on. I think maybe the photographers or just, well, just the the media outlets that are doing this live streaming maybe could be more uh, aggressive and open in reminding us when their mics are on and when their cameras are Or somebody in. back at yeah. the station who is has this feed on going on out onto the web to hit the pause button. So at least yeah. it's stopped, it stops at the station and doesn't go out to the world. That's helpful. And th but that's not always feasible. And it's also certain situations where you're not expecting a delay. When you think that player's coming up next um, can play into a role like this. And sometimes people are doing multiple things at once or it's somewhat automated and there isn't a person there monitoring the button to, to do that all of right. the time. And, you know, it would be nice if it was like a television studio where there were big lights and a big sign that tells everybody when the cameras are live and you know, and then it's your responsibility. But where I'm going with this is I think it's a very unfortunate situation for all involved, for Maddie Glab, for the television station that was broadcasting that, for Stefan Diggs, for the Bills fans, and everybody affected by this, which I would even include you because you've gotten into so many different back and forths on Twitter in the past 12 to 18 hours about it that it's now affecting your life. But well, not negatively. Been, you know, you know me well, well enough to know that I I wouldn't well, do it if right. I didn't enjoy it. Maybe it's been a positive for you then. But I think for anybody, in this case specifically, Maddie, but for anybody that it could have been or has been, because I've heard of situations where this has happened at uh, you know, political press conferences, and I think there's many times when all of us have been overheard on live stream hot mics covering the bills. We just either haven't said something inflammatory or it just didn't get clipped and picked up and distributed in the same way um fans and and content aggregators might want to keep their eyes peeled this could be a new source of of content to mine uh find sure. this vein and mine it and uh and but you get, get, a, get people talking on hot mics including team employees by the way i mean they when they when their guard is down uh, i'm sure this could that could have been in a lot of different people uh, not just the media. This isn't just a media thing. There are other people at One Bill's Drive that could easily have said something. Yeah, well, that's where I'm going with this. You have to be responsible for the words that come out of your mouth in in these settings, in these work settings, within work hours, during these media periods, the open locker room. Um, you should assume that these cameras are always recording because there's a technological glitch that could happen or a button could get switched the wrong way where we're not supposed to be live. And maybe it is, or somebody can hear uh, on a specific feed that isn't the world, you know, it isn't broadcast to everybody, but it could be, you know, fed in. I think that's, you know, maybe a bit similar. It's a different story, but you know, what happened to Rachel Nichols when she was talking on a, uh, you know, a phone call or a zoom call and that somehow got that audio got distributed to somebody else. You have to be aware. That's maybe a bad example because that was a private conversation. In this public work setting, you have to be aware that what you said, what you say is heard by others. And even if those cameras weren't rolling, that comment could have been heard by another reporter, written down, quoted anonymously, maybe even not anonymously because it wasn't ever stated. This is off the record, you know, kind of situation that could have been 
you know, quote. So I think it would have been fair for somebody to quote that comment in their story if they were writing a type of story, like you said, about the Bills and the media and Stefan Diggs or something like that. And it's different. If Maddie Glab had worked for a newspaper or a television station or an independent media person, I don't really think what she said was all that bad. I think it was. Her I think honest. it would depend on who it was. If it was somebody like a Jerry Sullivan, people jump his ass. You know, it would depend sure, on sure. whether you what you're how you're viewed in the in the profession, I think. Right, but I, I wouldn't think there was anything wrong with it myself. Um, it's her perception of the situation. She was being a little bit tongue in cheek, maybe and joking and bantering with people in the media. But as a team employee, it's a lot different. And, and it's now it's up to the team and the internal organization and Stefan Diggs and other players to kind of determine how much of a violation of a team rule or team spirit or organizational culture that is. Whereas if it was you or I or anybody else in independent media speaking that way, it's a lot different. I, I do think there was a lot of reaction from fans about media in general having that kind of conversation and if that was appropriate or not. Yeah, there's a general distrust of the media as it is. So now this is a gotcha moment of, see, these guys, they're all phonies. They say one thing to the player's face, and then as soon as the player's not around or the politician or whomever, when they're, then they're, they're conniving fuckers. Always little getting together in a little gaggle and making jokes about the people they cover. And when it Which does is, flash back on all of us, it's not a woe is media take here, but you know, this incident is going to make Buffalo Bills players, some of them, a little less trusting of all of us as media because of what was overheard on that mic. And you know, there may be trust issues with wondering how that got distributed or put out there and reacted to and covered in the media. But the volume of coverage that's been out there and also the volume of, you know, I didn't count all the words, but Maddie's comment was two or three sentences, the initial comment. The apology that she put out was a very strong and heartfelt apology was much longer. It was a full paragraph, you know, 100 or 150 words. Stefan Diggs sent out three tweets that was, you know, maybe of similar length to the apology and a lot more words and thoughts and feelings expressed in these tweets than in his responses to Stephen A. Smith or other rumors and different things and cryptic tweets that were sent out by Stefan Diggs through the offseason. So this this incident clearly affected him enough that he spoke out and expressed a lot of thoughts and feelings that sometimes he chooses not to, at least in social media or uh, without being asked about it. He isn't always forthcoming about explaining you know he never really explained why he did but i mean in this way he didn't come out and explain why he was upset on the sideline at cincinnati right away kind of let that fester and let people guess and, and be mysterious about it he was not at all mysterious yesterday in, in responding to this uh controversy real or perceived that it kind of took over well he had a rough week it wasn't just uh what was said by maddie glab uh, he he took some heat from um from Michael Irvin, uh, who criticized Stefan Diggs for some interactions that Diggs had with uh, Josh Allen on the sideline on Monday Night Football. Michael Irvin said that he he was showing up as quarterback. He was calling him dumb. You know, you got to be smart. You got to use your head or whatever, you know, pointing at his head and on national television. And so Stefan Diggs went on Von Miller's podcast uh, Wednesday. Here's just an aside, by the way. Again, nobody likes to hear about the media wine, so I didn't tweet about it, but I thought it was interesting. I walked up to Von Miller uh, at the locker uh, in, on Wednesday, and I said, hey, man, you, can I get you for a couple of minutes if I don't ask you about the injury? Because that's kind of that's usually the caveat when a guy's hurt uh, is that 
they don't do interviews because of the injury. But anyways, I've done that with Jordan Poyer in the past, whatever. Uh, and he says, no, I get in trouble if I talk. I did an interview and I got in trouble because I'm on PUP. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that must be a team policy, I guess, that I wasn't aware of. And then he does, but then he's interviewing Stefan Diggs on his own podcast later on in the day. I just thought that was funny. Um, but uh, where was I going with it? Oh, so he he asked uh, Diggs and Diggs, obviously, he could have cleared the air about Maddie Glab on the on the Von Miller podcast. He had the news conference there. He could have addressed it with the reporters right there uh, before. But I mean, that's he can do it on his time. And I'm not going to, again, fault him for the way he chose to defend himself or explain himself. Um, I agree with him that I've never had a bad interaction. Um, so yeah, there's a reputation that, that, that has, he's has scars regarding how he's viewed apparently. And, um, but again, to me, it's just amazing that something, uh, what I think is, was pretty innocuous. It was tongue in cheek. It should have been over with pretty quickly. Uh, and now you got people calling for her to be fired, uh, the C words being thrown around an awful lot. Uh, you know, it's just, I mean, it just, it's a lot, it's a lot for a, for a hot mic comment that was apologized for pretty profusely. And, uh, and the national media, the low, I don't, well, I don't really see it really in the local media. And although I haven't devoured what's what contents online today from the local media, but at least from a national standpoint, they, everybody pounced on this story as salacious. And I mean, I think people are, are, are clearly playing up the racial element of it, the male female aspect of it. Um, you know, the, the power dynamic aspect of it, of, you know, somebody who can not call for somebody to be fired, um, or criticize Maddie specifically, but everybody knows what Stefan Diggs is talking about. So his fans then start asking for, or demanding that she be fired. Um, so, and you know that when you, with your power dynamic, um, you know, we see it in politics all the time. We see it with, with celebrities, star athletes, it, it happens part of today where you can get your message out so quickly on social media. Um, anyways, I, uh, and I, here we are talking about it for, but, but again, to me, it's just, it's a, it's more of a fascinating commentary on, on the media than it is well, anything that specifically happened. And it's also a lens into these team media jobs and state run media and trying to maybe bring independent a analysis from a non-independent position. Um, you know, if it was any of us or another media person and you're saying that, or maybe you write that something like that, you're, you're kind of protected as providing fair criticism. And if your employer or your editor or your producer kind of stands by you uh, and says, you have the right to express that opinion, or, you know, that was a fair uh, commentary um, but you don't have that same leeway or protection from your bosses and your employers as a team media person. Or maybe some do. I, I do think there's maybe some examples around different leagues where there are purely independent reporters who are employed by the team. But I think this is an example showing that in most cases, that's not the case. And it's kind of a tightrope walk for some of these people in these positions. And I find it interesting. You did mention it, but maybe get a little bit more of your take on this on how the difference between how much coverage and how important of a story this has been treated by national media, whereas locally it's it's largely been uncovered. I think some of that is an awkwardness and, and courtesy to Maddie, who in, in some ways is one of us. But there seems to be a big difference between how it's being perceived outside of Buffalo and within Buffalo 
from a media coverage standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a discussion to have. Um, to me, I think it's because we all kind of view it as pretty silly. You know, I don't think that there's anybody. I mean, that I don't think it's because we're trying to protect the bill. Look, I, I right before we came on, I, I didn't respond to it, but I saw a tweet where somebody said, "Media member uh, defending another member of the media." Shocker! Hell, I criticize my media brethren all the time. Um, all the time. All the time. I I don't. Yeah, you're right. As you roll your eyes, but I mean, if people fuck up, I have a t- you know, it's I've I've mentioned it. You know, we just had the the Mike Williams story. We talked about it on this podcast last week, how people got it wrong and then doubled down on being wrong on somebody being dead. Um, we do talk about we talk about we we talked about Jerry Sullivan, who's a friend of ours. We don't we don't shy away from criticizing other members of the media. Um, again, I've lost my train of thought. Well, no, I think that squares. The oh, point but some yeah. Bit. Anyways, I was just saying that I think that there is there's criticism to be had here, uh, but I just don't, I just didn't see it as a story and I still don't. I mean, here we are as a story that I'm going to write about in the athletic. um, I just, I, I wrote about, all right. So it's time for me to mention this because people might be wondering, is he going to talk about the Jim Trotter lawsuit and what was mentioned by Terry Pagula? No, I'm not. But there's reasons for that. It's because Jim Trotter works for the athletic. Number one, Uh, I have, guidance from my editors and i'm not going to talk about anything here that isn't reported at the athletic about this story so anything that you're going to see from me on this story whether it be reporting out from the pagula side or from the jim trotter side it's going to be at the athletic it's not going to be here on this podcast so um again that's just kind of the way it is when you're involved in things you go back to the trevor bauer situation and he was suing the athletic we don't talk, you know, we're, we're not supposed to talk about these things. So anyways, that's that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just didn't show up to work this week thinking about covering anything other than how the Bills are going to shake off this loss on Monday night and get ready for their home opener against the Raiders. And that's one of the conversations I had with an editor was there's so many other stories going on right now that these other things really are are trivial. And I guess if you, but I, I don't know, I, but again, it's just too good to pass up, I guess, in the national level, like this needs to be on our ticker. We're going to talk about this. Uh, we're going to have a segment on this. We're going to get into it on whether it be, I don't know, did Stephen A. Smith talk about it today? I, I, I probably, or somebody did in, on one of those uh, debate shows uh, about the dynamic between the media and, and athlete. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but um I haven't seen any of that, but I've seen a lot. I've seen articles and I've seen a lot on social media, even into today, that this being the dominant story around the Bills. And I maybe I agree with you. I disagree with you in any sense of this not being a story and not worth attention because of the reaction it's getting and how kind of unique and interesting and the different media conversations that come about of it. I am in agreement with you, and I think this might be at, at the core of your argument that nothing here is a major crime. And maybe that's why it's not a big story, because I don't think anything that was done or said was all that bad. 
So I think maybe that's where we do agree that it's not a big story in the sense it's not a major controversy. And look, Maddie Glab's being punished by the bills and that's an in-house matter. It's an employee situation. Okay. That, like you say, the, the bills aren't going to punish Tim Graham or Jonah Bronstein or Jay Skirsky or whomever else, if we had said those things, because they, we don't work for them. Uh, but Maddie Glab does work for the Buffalo bills, but it's not a table for one. Uh, Chris Brown has been suspended by the Bills. John Murphy was suspended by the Bills. People have gotten in trouble there for what they put on social media, what they've said on the air. John Murphy uh, was suspended because he thought that the Sabres fired Phil Housley too soon. Uh, and that was considered uh, a, a reason to to be uh, punished. So it's not as though Matty Glab is alone in this situation. Um but uh, the other ones were done a lot more quietly. Uh, and I think that the Bills would have preferred uh, that to be the case. Uh, I did write about Chris Brown's uh, suspension because I'd found out about it. And there were some other things going on, too. But anyways, uh, and in fact, is one of the believe it or not, I guess this goes into what people are into. That is probably a top five story for me at The Athletic in terms of people who read it or subscribed to read it. Uh, the Chris Brown being suspended story. Um, but, but you're not going to do this story, which I get. But, you know, I mean, doesn't that show you kind of where the audience is on, on wanting to know about? These yeah, if I wanted cheap clicks, if I wanted clicks, I would do it. Um, but I got games to cover. I can't I can't cover it all. So. Yeah, it's what people want. That doesn't mean it's necessarily the the biggest news. I mean, Chris Brown was on the air. He was pulled off the air um, for, for what he said. He had broke, he'd broken some policy regarding um, report reporting what was being, what was happening at training camp, I think is what it was, which was against the rules. You're not allowed to do that. And then first day of training camp, he reported or he went on the air and talked about it. Um, Anyway, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I should be writing a story about it, but I wonder if the Bills and maybe Stefan Diggs have a really memorable game on Sunday, if this will be known as the Maddie Glab game. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, I don't think it's changed the point spread, Jonah. Uh, eight and a half points. Uh, the Raiders are underdogs uh, coming into Highmark Stadium. That seems like a pretty fat spread to me. Um, what are your thoughts on what you saw from, uh, from the Bills at the Meadowlands on Monday night and any – concerns about that being part of their identity versus a just one game sentiment? I think there's a lot of concerns with the way the offense played. I don't know so much about the defense. I actually think with, you know, only allowing 16 points in regulation with some of the short fields or maybe all the turnovers weren't for short fields, but with that kind of offensive performance and the defense only giving up 16 points, wasn't so bad, and the special teams had a breakdown in, in overtime, but wasn't really part of the loss before that. But offensively, I mean, you're seeing issues that uh, plagued the Bills late last season and were supposed to be corrected by personnel changes in another offseason of, of getting better and being more focused, and Josh Allen specifically in his decision-making and things like that that looked worse, you know, and it's got to be concerning the trend line there. But it's week one. It was one game against what, what seems to be a bad matchup for the Bills going back the past couple of seasons at Jets defense against the Bills offense. Uh, the Bills had their worst game offensively against that 
defense last year, at least before the playoffs. And I expect a bounce back from Josh Allen and the offense and the Bills in general coming into this home opener, a different matchup, a different opponent, and that fighting from underneath um, mindset that the Bills have had under Sean McDermott when they're at their best and coming off a loss. I think that really brings that out of them. And I expect the Bills to play one of their better games this Sunday and and being at home and being the better team. I think that will – be enough for them. I don't know if they're going to cover the spread or not, but I would like them. If I had to pick, I probably would go that way. Yeah. It's easy to see uh, leaning on the bills that we know of since Josh Allen became the quarterback beating the Raiders by eight and a half. But with images of what we just saw Monday night, uh, my concerns are, you know, the Josh Allen headspace. Um, granted the bills, should have won that game. We talked about it uh, earlier. At least I mentioned how how much they, how easily they should have won that game. It took a miraculous catch by Garrett Wilson. It took four turnovers by Josh Allen and a punt return in overtime for the Jets to pull it out uh, without Aaron Rodgers. But to see Josh Allen pretty much give the game away uh, or much of it again. Garrett Wilson made a great play, and there's really nothing you could do about that because Tredavious White was in excellent coverage. But uh, So there were bounces that went the Jets' way in addition to the four turnovers. But, you know, he was uh, obviously beating himself up. Uh, he was at his locker stall for a long time talking to Kyle Allen after the game. And, by the way, what's Kyle Allen going to tell you? Um, but he looked lost, not just – on the field, but afterwards, a guy searching for answers. He seemed a little tightly wound to me on Wednesday, also answering questions about Monday night, but going to have to shake it off. And I think he's he does that. He's done it within games. You've seen him have terrible first half or even a terrible three quarters. And then just in the fourth quarter, figure it out. Um, He bounces back. The bills don't lose two in a row very often. They did it once last year, once the year before, Um, but you know, he, he was very much in his head, uh, trying to rework the hardwiring that makes him who he is as the bills want him to run less, take fewer hits. I think you could almost see him thinking through plays on Monday night as to, I'm not supposed to run here. I got to throw, or he, he just, that is something that could carry over. Now the jets are a half step faster. They hit a little bit harder on defense than, than most teams in the NFL. They're good at every level, defensive line, linebacker, secondary. They're very good. Robert Sala calls it a great game. Uh, so they're not going to face a defense like that every week, but as the season goes on, you are going to face really good defenses. And the thing that uh, I guess I should have made it a point to put it in my column and I didn't, but the idea of the stage on Monday night jitters, right? Um, the light show before the game, 9-11 tributes, uh, Monday night football, Aaron Rodgers there. The crowd was uh, – people who've covered the Jets for a long time say that crowd is unlike any that they've seen in, in a long, long time. Um, and the jitters that seem to be there. Well, okay, it's opening day. What's the you – know, okay, that, that – that, but – Here's a guy that you want to win the Super Bowl for you. What's it going to be like AFC championship game, 
Super Bowl, that pageantry that is legit. I mean, uh, the the guy that we saw fighting it uh, on Monday night is uh, is is not the quarterback who is going to take the Bills to the Super Bowl. It's got to be the guy that we've seen a bunch in other ways, like we saw in 13 seconds game. Cool. Um, handling his business. Uh, borderline flawless in that game. Um, but then this other one shows up every now and then. And so the Bills, as Sean McDermott said, and he was referring to his quarterback, it's bad enough that we had to play the Jets. We can't play ourselves also. The Bills had to find a way to to beat themselves, to, uh, to defeat themselves. <laughs> uh on uh on monday night and uh it's a recipe for disaster yeah and i think it needs to be recognized that this is and a lot of people have because they've used this particular phrase but this is part of the josh allen experience he was a turnover prone player early in his career and coming out of college uh he got away from that for a couple seasons and was a lot more mistake free and that's where he kind of elevated into this conversation is one of the very best quarterbacks in the league and, and you called him I think the best quarterback in Bill's history but last year he did lead the NFL in turnovers especially in the games that did not go well for the Bills that was a problem in the red zone and now he commits four turnovers in the opening game he's on track to you know be high in that number again this season after a stated offseason focus on not doing that but we talked on this podcast about how we saw Josh Allen throwing interceptions and putting his body in jeopardy a little bit in unpadded practices at training camp. And we saw some poor play in the preseason. The Bills bounced back from that. The second game they played the starters. But so there's a trend going on of this kind of mistake-prone football from Josh Allen that you would think he got out of his game a couple of years ago and it's come back. And the question is really, if that continues, why is that the case? And, and can he be coached in a way to prevent that? Or is this just you know, the gunslinger type quarterback that he is, and you're going to get games like this and you're going to get hurdles and games where he's, you know, unbelievable and an MVP candidate and you just have to take the good with the bad. Or is there a way to filter Josh Allen down and only get the good? And think about all the voices, those calming potential, potentially calming influences uh, that he has lost over the last couple of years. Brian Dable, most notably, uh, Shea Tierney, who was the assistant quarterbacks coach, and Josh Allen would go out of his way to talk about Shea Tierney uh, during news conferences. Uh, Davis Webb, obviously an important part of that quarterback room, so important, in fact, that the Bills offered him the quarterback coaching job uh, as a player, uh, but Davis Webb didn't want to retire and ended up going to the Giants. Um, Matt Barkley is not around. Uh, like So all these security blankets uh, have been stripped away from Josh Allen's nest. And he now has Kyle Allen and Shane Bouchelle uh, to talk about, or to, and Joe Brady is there. He's the quarterback's coach, but uh, Ken Dorsey up in the press box uh, during the game. Uh, that's not to say that having Matt Barkley or Davis Webb on the sideline would have helped on Monday night. I I'm just saying that there's been an accumulation of support that has, that has evaporated around around him and maybe that's playing a playing a role you know Matthew Fairburn was talking with uh I'm, I'm tipping uh tipping his story a little bit but he was uh, doing a story on on Josh Allen and how you try to corral a quarterback and uh Brad Childress uh in talking about uh Brett Favre and uh maybe there was another quarterback too 
cited Leslie Frazier as a calming influence uh, to helping uh, be, you know, like a voice of reason just to keep in guys calm. Uh, and specifically mentioned that Brad Childress specifically mentions Leslie Frazier as somebody who helped his quarterbacks. Um, so throw that in there too. There's an elephant in the room about Josh Allen that we've never talked about on this podcast, but everybody in Buffalo has been talking about for months too. And maybe we don't want to get too specific about it, but there could be changes in somebody's personal life that can affect the way they approach their job. And at some point, I think you kind of wrote about this a little bit in the context of endorsements and things like that, but you know, off the field matters could maybe be coming into play. I'm not saying that they are or aren't, but you start to wonder when things are corrected on the field, what else is contributing to the performance is why I think Josh Allen's going to have a great game Sunday and put a lot of these concerns to bed. But if he doesn't, there's only going to make more and more questions about what's going on. And it makes it all the more important that Josh Allen has a good performance and a win and some turnover free performances. So people stop wondering why and suggesting why uh, he's not playing as well as he has before. Yeah, I would expect a bounce back game. You have the Raiders coming from three time zones away. You know, uh, it's going to be the home opener. There's going to be a lot of energy there. Um, Yeah. Uh, You know, this is, I don't, I, I'm not concerned for the bills or their fans uh, after Monday night, but it's, we're not, but we're, look, we're watching, you know, it's, that's not to say that, like you say, things need to be put to bed, I believe. And it's only going to take an emphatic performance to do that. Um, Speaking of bounce back games, UB football hosts Liberty at noon on Saturday you be a three and a half point f- underdog, yeah. A favorite. Plus I just j- I jotted down in my notes three and Home a half, dog. but I didn't put a plus or a minus. Home dog. Home dog against Liberty. Uh, what? Uh, you're only allowed to bet one game. Which are you betting, Bills or UB to bounce back with the with the point spread? For the record, UB lost to Fordham, an FCS team, in the home opener last uh, Saturday. I mean, I generally would like a home dog getting three and a half points because you can win a game with a field goal. Or you could win the bet by losing a game on a field goal, overtime, close game. Um, I do, and I don't gamble, so I don't really know, you know, exactly how to play some of these spreads. I do like the Bills to win the game comfortably and I wouldn't be too worried about giving too many points in that regard. And I don't believe that UB is favored to beat Liberty. So regardless of the point spread, I, I would pick Liberty to win that game. But I do see some similarities in that uh is coming off an embarrassing loss to Fordham when they had the lead in the third quarter and they gave it up. And it was very similar to their loss to Holy Cross a year ago. And these are both Patriot league teams playing FCS football that, uh, you know, a MAC team like Buffalo, if they're any good, is supposed to, you know, these are guaranteed buy games. They're supposed to be not easy wins, but they're not supposed to be games that uh, are stressful losses unless you're a bottom of, you know, the FBS MAC type team and UB doesn't believe that they are. So even, even for the fan base, it's embarrassing to lose these type of games two years in a row. I think that will motivate UB and, and 
maybe get them to be a little bit more disciplined and, and have a harder edge coming into this game against Liberty, which has a new coach, but he's a coach that's familiar to UB. Jamie Chadwell was coaching at Coastal Carolina the past two years when UB's played them um, in this week of the season a year ago and uh, at home when Coastal Carolina was nationally ranked and gave them a very close game two seasons ago. So I expect a better performance from Buffalo and, you know, a chance to win this game against Liberty. But, you know, it's hard to have a lot of confidence in UB's ability to win this game coming off of the way they played, specifically defensively last week. And they had defensive troubles against Wisconsin in week one as well. And Wisconsin lost, lost, which takes a little bit of the shine off of being competitive for a half at Wisconsin. Um, I don't know if this is a must win. It's never a must win when Buffalo can just go into the max season, win their games, and, and you know have a successful season that way. But for, I think, the confidence and spirit of the team and for getting to bowl eligibility, um, starting off 0-3, they did uh, rally to win six of the last regular se- nine regular season games last year, but I-, I wouldn't have a lot of confidence in them doing that again if they start 0-3 this year. Yeah, and then UB has uh, Louisiana, and that's next week before opening the max schedule against Akron on the road. I don't haven't seen enough of the Mid American Conference yet to know where UB would stand in terms of the hierarchy. Uh, where were they in the preseason poll? They're picked third in the East, and maybe extrapolated to around fifth overall in terms of winning the conference. So they're uh, they're not the favorite, but they're a team that's expected to contend and not, you know, bottom of the Mac. And, you know, they have, they have a talent and they have a returning starting quarterback. And I think they're going to be a competitive team in Mac play. Um, but right now coming off that one home game against Fordham, it, it, it's not a, you know, not the best vibes coming out of that program. And I, I think that's more important than where they end up record-wise and on the field uh, or more salient in this moment is that, you know, for the second year in a row, the home opener against an FCS team, it's, it draws the biggest crowd of the year, and it's supposed to kind of think, set the tone for the UB fan experience and disappointing the fans. And, uh, you know, it's a fickle fan base, I think, here with college football in Buffalo. And if you don't really impress – in that first game, there's some fans that will give up on you for the whole season. So I think just the feeling and the spirit around UB football got deflated. And last year it took a five-game winning streak to kind of get that back. And, you know, we'll see if that's the way it goes this year again. Jonah, thanks for this. Once again, I've gotten through an entire podcast without mentioning or begging the listeners slash viewers to subscribe, to like, to rate, do whatever you do on your platform of choice to uh, push Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. Uh, The more likes that we get, of course, especially when it comes to our subscribers on YouTube allows us to do more things from a production standpoint. And every episode I get here to this point where I'm asking for people to do this. And I think next week I'm going to do it at the beginning, which is the logical time to ask instead of at the end, but I always forget. But I do notice, I do get notifications uh, when we do get new subscribers and ratings and all that stuff, and it does pick up. So asking uh, has helped. Making the request has uh, 
has been beneficial. So thank you out there to everyone who has uh, subscribed and, and rated us. Jonah, any parting thoughts? No, but real quick, regards to UB, I did want to mention uh, one of their players, a veteran player who's been on the team six years now, defensive end Max Michelle. He was honored with a, a Mac Award for his community service. He's uh, nominated for the uh, the All-State, the National Award for Community Service. And, uh, you know, as much as maybe with the wins and the losses, the vibes haven't been great coming out of UB Stadium in the past week. I think there are some likable players and likable storylines and likable aspects of this team. And that's one of them. What's um, the background? Why did he, why did he win this award? Do you know who he, what organizations he works with? Well, he, he's done a lot of, a lot of stuff on his own, a lot of uh, winter coat drives and uh, at the toy drives and things like that within the Buffalo community. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago about that before one of these awards was announced. It's definitely something that he's, you know, kind of done for his own, uh beliefs and want to as much as a you know a community service initiative that UB's pushed him along to or in order to promote himself for these awards there is a more um specific program that he's gotten underway with Giovanni Ruiz who's a was a football player at Buffalo for the last for the previous six years uh coming out of Fredonia and they work together now on a program that's designed for helping athletes make the transition out of college if they're not going to be professional athletes and into different aspects of life um he, so he's done a lot of different things and a lot and i think the most prominent thing i've noticed with max michelle is that just about anything ub's done as a team community service wise he's been out front and really maybe the most energetic about that so i think that's just something that's built into his character and his spirit to do in this community service even in years where he was injured or a backup and wasn't a key player on the field, he's been a key player for them in the community uh, from early in his career. That's pretty cool. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, oh, I should notice, I mean, he was very involved in stuff that they've done in and around Topps Market and East Side of Buffalo and things like that. And they were he's not the only one. There's other UB players that have their own initiatives and were also just as involved, but he's been at the forefront of that. Um, when it was a, you know, a major story in the past year or two. Thanks, Jonah. Um, thanks to everybody out there for listening or watching Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK CPAs and business consultants. Jonah, I'll, uh, I'll see you out at the, uh, at the ball game on Sunday, if not sooner. We're going to have to get going there this afternoon. If we want to beat the traffic. That was a discussion. Uh, we're trying to figure out how I'm, I'm going to probably leave around eight 30 or nine. You know what? The pet peeve is that fill the boot drive that just, uh, they do it at um, Woodlawn and big tree fire departments. And I get it. It's a fundraiser, but it just, they have the sirens going and they're standing in the street because they know the traffic is coming. And so everybody has to stop and it makes it worse. I mean, show me where to write a check. I'll write a check to get you off the road. Uh, or I'll send it, but it's just, they, they kind of shame you into putting money in the boot. Everybody is stopped. You have to either ignore the guy with the boot standing right outside your window as he walks past. I'm pissed off. I don't want to reward this behavior. Um, so, uh, anyways, you gotta, you gotta contend with that too. It's not just the, uh, the construction of the stadium across the street and home opener vibes and the good weather. It's, uh, there's all kinds of shit you got to deal with getting to the stadium on Sunday.
When are you going to leave? Well, I got to cover UB tomorrow, so I can't go too early. I don't know. I'll leave probably an hour earlier than I normally would, expecting this to be a difficult traffic situation and hope that that extra hour uh, takes care of, you know, whatever difficulties we have. But that has not – remember the opener two years ago against Pittsburgh? I think we all left maybe a little bit early thinking there'd be some traffic and there was a lot more and players themselves had to get – uh, you know, police escorts into the game. So the home opener is always, uh, you know, a wild scene in terms of there's more people out there tailgating than there will be going into the stadium. And, and that leads to more cars and more traffic. And now we have less parking spots and, and different things like that. So, you know, I really have no idea what Sunday morning has in store for us. Well, Godspeed, Jonah. The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400 or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions.